Hey, Beauty Needs Me family, welcome. We're your hosts, Talia Griffin. And Dooney Odumasu. We want to first start by saying thank you for tuning in. Beauty Needs Me is our effort at an inclusive beauty space that crosses color, culture, and country lines. And we're so happy you've decided to join us on this journey. Please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, we'd love to hear from you. So hit us on Instagram at, at Beauty Needs Me or email us at beautyneedsme at gmail.com. Our first guest is Emmy Award-winning hairstylist, author, and entrepreneur, Angela C. Styles. We discussed so many things in this episode. The pull-up-or-shut-up initiative, the legitimacy of all these hair growth products on the market, and of course, the braids she wore to the Emmys on the night of her big win. We are recording this remotely, so please bear with us if there are any audio inconsistencies. We will only get better, okay? Enjoy! So I want to I want to get something out the way before we even really get into the questions. So full disclosure to our listeners, me and Angela have a mutual friend. And if you ask her, she'll tell you that she's from Chicago when in reality she's from Illinois. So, (laughs) Angela, I know that your bio says that you're from Chicago. Are you from Chicago? Definitely. I'm definitely from Chicago. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Okay. <laughs> I'm so mad. You are so petty for that. I grew up in the hundreds. I went to school in the, like, you know, I can give you, I can list down everything. My grandmama was on 84th, you know, I went to, I went to school on Roosevelt and I went to school in Roseland. I went, I went to school on 111th. Like, you know, I just, I'm all through the city of Chicago. You legit, you legit. Because I, I always have to check. I'm like, I grew up on 93rd and racing. Like I grew up going to Palmer Park in Roseland. So when people say Chicago, I'm like, mm, where, who? Cause they'd be like Aurora. I'm like, that ain't Chicago. That's Illinois. Just say you from Illinois. <laughs> So true. It's so true. I always be like, well, so what part of town are you from? Right. And they'd be like, Kankakee. You're like, um, <laughs> that ain't it. Okay. So now that I've officially verified you and, and, and I can, I can visualize where you're from specifically, um, what was it like growing up? What, what were you doing with your hair when you were young? I was doing everything from, adding braiding hair to my hair and doing feather ponytails when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. Like I was always obsessed with hair. You know, most kids, they like going to Toys R Us or whatever. I like to go into the beauty supply store. Hey, my mom couldn't do my hair, but we didn't have no money to like for me to get it done. So some of the girls on in the neighborhood, they would volunteer, you know, they would braid my hair. Um, and so she would just be happy because it was like, okay, cool. Like I got to do it. Or I would get my little, you know, every few months I would go to the salon and get it done. Um, but in the meantime, I was in there in my room playing in my hair, doing all kind of little styles to it. And she was just very encouraging. Cause like, oh, you look so pretty. Like I like what you did. And so I think that was helpful to me to feel, you know, like I was on getting onto something, you know, I knew it probably wasn't like the best, best, but you could still tell that I I really had a knack for it. And I was like really, you know, into hair and she was supportive of that. You felt felt empowered. empowered. Yes, yes. So did your experience with your hair journey as a kid inspire your book, Hair, the children's book? Um, The way that I framed the story and the narrative, um, the little girl, Keely, she basically comes home and she tells her mom, like, 
I'm sick of my hair. Like, it doesn't look like yours or anybody else's in school. And so even though I grew up with a lot of kids that looked like me, I noticed the differences in our hair textures. And then my mom, she had really silky, like, wavy hair. And so I always wonder, like, why? how did she get that? And I got this. Like, you know, and so I think even though I noticed the difference, it made me want to understand how to manipulate my hair more because I, I realized that I didn't have the same texture. And so I think a lot of kids deal with that, whether they're mixed, whether they're, you know, come from black home, you know, their mom is black or whatever, um, is those differences and noticing them and, and hopefully families and parents find a way to reaffirm them. So my mom, she always uplifted me. She, you know, she never made me feel bad for having, you know, quote unquote, nappy hair. But some families do. So I I was inspired by my upbringing, but then also the things that I see in like other people and conversations and my own clients. And I kind of put it all into one idea to to get across, you know, the message that curly hair is beautiful, you know, and it comes in a lot of different forms. And because we can manipulate it in a lot of different ways, that's what makes it so unique. So I was telling Talia, you know, when we were when we were talking about bringing you on the show and and how excited we were, I was saying I wish that I had a book like Hair when I was growing up because that was my biggest insecurity was my hair. And my mom used to braid my hair and she used to put barrettes in it and all sorts of stuff. She used to also do African threading. I don't know if you guys know what that is, where so African threading is essentially people use it nowadays to like stretch their hair. But it was it's a legit hairstyle where you start from you part your hair, you start from the base of your hair, like at the root, and you literally just put the thread all around it until the very end. And you do that throughout your whole head and you kind of connect it. So um yeah, so I, I Google it. Listeners, Google African threading for hair. And so imagine, you know, a young kid walking around with that in their hair and to make matters worse <laughs> for elementary school, part of my elementary school, I went to I was the only black girl in the entire grade. So I had hair insecurities. Yeah. So I was telling Talia that I wish that I had a book like this to reinforce the beauty of our natural hair because I didn't really get into rocking my own hair, my natural hair texture until I was an undergrad, till college. Yeah, it's such a journey like for everybody. I think that's the beauty of the culture and the time that we're in right now is that we have evolved so much from just having one style of how we are quote unquote supposed to wear it versus, you know, being able to express ourselves however we want. Um, and so the book, I, I wish I had it for myself too, because, you know, I had a lot of days where I would just be so frustrated. And so many people have said that, like, I wish this book was out when I was a kid, but mm -hmm. you know, I think me being inspired by what I saw as far as the diversity now is what prompted it. So I don't, I don't think this book would have been written any sooner because, because yeah. we weren't expressing ourselves as much right. in that way. But, you know, it, at least we get it for the next generation. They'll be a little yeah. bit more easy on themselves. Yeah, I think especially because we we hear so many news stories about kids being suspended from school and expelled from school for having yeah. dreads. And it's like it's like this is this is ridiculous. Like, how is your your natural hair, you know, so offensive in school? 
that they are kicking you out from having an education. Right. So I think having books where it consistently affirms like, you know, you don't have to cut your hair and there's nothing wrong with having an afro. If the kids in the back can't see, they need to sit in the damn front. (laughs) (laughs) And let that fro flourish. Right. I'm so happy for the Crown Act being passed in LA and New York, but there's still a lot of work to do as far as, you know, getting that passed everywhere, you know, across the nation, because it is not, it's not fair that certain places are still, you know, able to discriminate on us because of our hair. Right. Yeah. And the crown act, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain. Don't quote me on this, but I think it only covers the workplace. So it's like the, the babies are still on, on their own. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're right. I don't think it covers schools. Um, and I know it's only in New York and Los Angeles. It's not even in the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the states in between that. Right. So you know that even more speaks to how much work we have to do to make the changes. I think with this climate, at least, you know there are changes being made, and so hopefully that would be one of them is is eliminating discriminatory practices around hair in all public settings. But we still got a lot of work to do. We have so much work to do. So speaking about hair, speaking about the workplace, I know that for the listeners, we haven't exactly explained um, Angela's journey just yet. We'll get there. But I want to touch on something. So Angela, you recently won an Emmy, which is phenomenal, right? And your style at the Emmys was amazing. You looked gorgeous and you rocked braids. So walk us through what went what went through your mind, if anything, about the perception that mainstream may have you being a black woman wearing braids at such a formal event like the Emmys. Well, I just when I found out we were nominated, of course, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to wear? What am I going to, mm-hmm. you know? And the executive producer came up to me and he said, you know, Angela, we were talking and we think, you know, if you win, when you win, we would like for you to accept the award. And I was like, oh, my God, like, really? You know, and it was just big for me because that was my first season working at the talk, you know. So to be nominated the first season that we get there um, and then to be asked to accept the award on behalf of the other three hairstylists in, um, you know, that work alongside me on their clients, it was big. So um, I just kind of in my mind was like, you know what? I'm gonna wear some cornrows. Like I want to be real black when I go up there. Like, I, are I'm you the only like, black stylist on the show? Hairstylist on the show? Yes. Yeah. Well, Cheryl Underwood's makeup artist. He also does her hair. But the thing about um, hair and makeup categories in television and film is you have to choose one like on paper Mm. so Mm. technically he didn't win a hair emmy he won a makeup emmy because he signed up to be a makeup artist he just happens to do her hair so he is black but as far as the people who walked up on stage as actual hairstylists in the union they were not black so it was only two other people um on our team and yeah, I was the only black girl. So 
I don't know. I just decided. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be real black. I'm going to wear cornrows with a beautiful dress and mm-hmm. exude my blackness. And I'm going to go up there and represent for all my sisters and all the young kids and, you know, everybody out there who was going to end up seeing that footage. And the creative arts Emmys are separate from the daytime Emmys because mm-hmm. there's too many categories, basically. So I knew it, even though I realized it wasn't televised, I still knew that that was going to be a moment in time that would be captured. Yeah. And so... So tell us everything that happened before you won the Emmy. So we know that you were walking around looking crazy as a kid. And then all of a sudden you won an Emmy or did some other stuff happen in between? No, it just <laughs> went from that to that. Like, just like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You an overnight success. Yeah, girl. <laughs> no, it was, it's been a really interesting ride. Um, so I went to college i went to depaul that also establishes my chicago-ness um yes, girl. <laughs> i went to depaul for a year and then i told my mom like hey like i want to make some money like i'm i i'm gonna go back to college but i i don't want to be broke anymore and she was like i get it you know and like, I, I had been doing hair and playing with hair all that time so she was fully supportive and she helped to find the right school for me to go to which was pivot point great foundation um from there i uh found i had a mentor from my friend's mom in high school she was a really amazing hairstylist and she was also into like you know doing um print work and working with product companies and doing education she took me under her wing after cosmetology school and i assisted for her for a while and then i stepped out on my own and got a chair i was kind of premature with getting a chair but you know I hit my head a couple times, but then, you know, I was building a clientele before I knew it, had a full clientele. And then my mentor, she came back into the picture and hired me to become a stylist for the company she was working for. So then I, I, you know, got into doing platform art and like, you know, styling at the Bronner Brothers show, standing on stage, kind of doing all that kind of fun stuff. And then I would say maybe a year or two into that. It's probably like four years into me being licensed. I decided to move to L.A. And then everything kind of really took a dramatic shift. Um, And so then I applied for a position to work with Kim Kimball my first week in L.A. And I got hired. And then I started working with celebrities out the gate. You know, all of her clients are pretty much A-listers or directors, producers, that kind of group of people. And so Mm -hmm. that's where I established my network. And we got offered a show opportunity. At that time, I also ended up opening a salon, a studio. Um, And so then I was kind of jumping around between like, you know, salon work. I ended up getting an agent. So then I was doing a lot of freelance work. Um, I started a YouTube channel and then I continued to do more education and working with products and brands and things like that. And I kind of juggled that life for, you know, four or five years. Um, And then... I left LA. I kind of wasn't feeling the LA vibe. I, I moved back to Chicago and that kind of felt a little weird. And then I ended up getting an opportunity to, um, to, uh, consult with a startup company in New York. And so I went to New York for, um, about a month or so. And mm-hmm. I created this pop-up salon concept for this young lady that had an idea to create like a blow dry bar for black women. Um, and so then from there, I came back to LA um did another season of LA hair regrettably and then I got hired to work with Russell Simmons and open another salon concept um in his yoga studio and so I became like a a consulting director 
um, for the salon in, within this yoga studio in Beverly Hills for about a year. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed consulting because I was like, oh, like I can still make money in beauty without having to do hair. Cool. Right. You know? Um, and so at that time I, I launched my hair extensions line, Conscious Curls. And I also was working on my book, uh, Hair. And, uh, unfortunately at that same time, I decided to step away from working with Russell and Tantris, but randomly that same week that I was in conversation about stepping away, all those allegations ended up coming out about, you know, his sexual misconduct and things like that. And so there was a big shift happening, uh, with the business there and simultaneously Eve, one of my longtime clients and friends ends up calling me. And asking me to come do her hair for for set the next day. And so I ended up going to set. And then the producers were like, oh, yeah, so this is Monday through Thursday. You know, <laughs> this time to this time. And so I shifted from the consulting job that I had had for a year back to, you know, working on television and film and then getting in the union. So mm. that's how I ended up getting in the union, was working with her. And then that same year, we got nominated for an Emmy. And then so the following season is when the Emmys actually happened. So the following year, you know, I win an Emmy. So um, and now I'm kind of still bouncing between those things. Before the shutdown happened, I was on set six days a week. I was in my salon two days a week. And then Mm. I shoot content and promote my hair brand and do speaking engagements with my book, um, you know, kind of as those things come. You said so much. I have so many questions. Okay. So I just want to backtrack really quick to LA hair because people may not remember LA hair. So how did you feel about that experience? Did you feel like reality TV was the move or do you feel like maybe you should have held out on that? I'll definitely say reality TV is a move. I think if you mention my name in most conversations, as far as hair goes, people know who I am. Whether they have a good impression of me or a bad impression of me, at least they know me. So I think that stands for something. You know, it legitimized and invalidated my um, my position in the career, in my, in my right. career. Um, right. I think that doing reality, it always has... Um, a way of kind of tarnishing things. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, I may, if I wasn't on that show, I may have, you know, 20,000 followers, maybe 10,000. You know, I may have yeah. some recognition locally, you know, but I know for a fact, had I not done it, I wouldn't as be as recognized as I am. And mm-hmm. so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my experiences on the show, whether they were, you know, uncomfortable, disrespectful, fun, whatever. I'm grateful for it. You know, I'm thankful for my alignment with Kim Kimball. You know, I'm thankful that that even came into my path. It's not something that I even was seeking out to do. So I more so understand that that was something that I was supposed to do. I was called to do because it literally just came and it sat in my lap. So, you know, I would tell people if a reality opportunity comes your way and it feels right in that moment, do it. But you have to 100% be mindful of the things you're saying and the things you're doing. And then you also have to make sure you're planning ahead for the future. I think the biggest regret that I have is that I didn't have products and things lined up the way that I should have. Everything was moving Mm. so quickly and 
you know, I was more so focused on servicing people versus creating products that would pay me in my sleep. And Mm. if I had more foresight and a better team around me at that time, I think I would have been able to structure things better to, you know, parlay it. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. So I'm, I'm not tripping. But even though it was challenging, it was a blessing. Right. So speaking of your own product line, let's talk about Conscious Curls for a minute. The slogan is hair that helps. So what exactly does that mean for customers? So when I launched Conscious Curls, um, what, four or five years ago now, I found out about um, a nonprofit that I was really interested in sharing to people. And so it was called the Rapunzel Project. And what they did was they helped spread the word and and helped women who were undergoing chemotherapy um, keep their hair through a process mm. called cold cap therapy. And so basically what you do if you are undergoing chemo is you can wear this like frozen cap on your head and it freezes the follicle while you're undergoing chemo so that your hair doesn't fall out. And so that was powerful to me because A, I'm a hairstylist and I'm like, I have seen the effects of you know, women losing their hair and how hard it is. And it's like, yeah, of course I can sell you a wig, but it's nothing like having actual hair on your head. And it's much more traumatic to watch that hair slide off, you know? Um, But then too, my mom was a breast cancer survivor. So I saw firsthand her lose her hair, you know, Mm -hmm. and it is, and I saw my aunt lose her hair and she was my client. And so I, I experienced seeing the hair falling out of the scalp. It's really something that I, that will never escape my memory. Um, And so when I found out about this nonprofit, I said, well, I want to help donate. And how can I do that? And at the same time, I was trying to, you know, find a way to A, make more money in salon and B, offer my customers something that um, I really stood behind as far as extensions go. And so I decided to put my newfound extension brand with this um, mission to give back. So that's initially where the slogan came from. Hair That Helps is about buying hair extensions that help other people. So what we decided to do as the brand grew is we decided to partner with different nonprofits. Um, So now we've partnered this year with a nonprofit that specifically helps um, young women who are still in high school and underprivileged communities get to college and give them all the resources that they need to become amazing leaders and just set them up for a successful life. And these are girls who really don't have a lot of resources, you know, offered to them. So I love the fact that we um, partner with them in terms of actually mentoring our time, giving our time, but then also we donate 10% of each sale to step up and give to the organization so that they can help girls get like laptops and take Mm -hmm. them on college tours and, you know, just provide all the things they need to really help equip them to be confident um, leaders in our society. And so every year we'll team up with different groups and I really want to put more of a focus on women of color and youth. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you had a really clear vision from the start. Were you apprehensive at all about starting given how saturated the market is? Um, no, I really don't think about that. I feel like there's room for everybody. I think it's more Mm -hmm. important on how you, how you decide to 
advertise your brand and you can have the same product as five other people, but how you market it, how you advertise it and who your um, tribe is will be different than the next person. And so while I know hair extensions in the beauty industry in and of itself is a competitive industry, I've been here for 15 years and I'm not going anywhere. So I didn't have a reason to feel apprehensive necessarily about it. So I was telling Talia that I was stalking you the past several days. As you were in Austin looking bomb, I loved your style. Uh, tell us how you maintain your hairstyle. Because that was, as I, you know, was looking through your website, <laughs> that was the Power Plus line, right? So that's the kinky curly texture. So how do you maintain that? Are those bundles or is that a wig? So what I was wearing in Austin was a wig. Um, and I take it off, off and on every night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not into like glue down hairline situations. So especially Preach. when it comes to like curly <laughs> hair, I um, leave out like uh, about a half an inch around my hairline and I just okay. twist that at night. Um, mm-hmm. And then I blend it into the wig. So you really don't see a part. You don't see um, the lace or anything. And I just use the combs and, you know, scoop those into the braids on my hair. And then it's also attached by an elastic band in the back. So... Um, yeah, it's just a real easy, like, doo-doo-doo type situation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I take it off and on at night. And some nights I'll put oil on my scalp. I didn't do that while I was away. But when I'm home, you know, I oil my scalp. I give myself a little scalp massage. And then I'll put, like, either a turban or a bonnet on and lay mm-hmm. it all down. Girl, that's what I do, too. I actually just... Ball. Okay, so first of all, when it comes to wigs, I am mad cheap. Like I buy them off the internet for $30 and I just spruce them up and make them look like they're actually, you know, from Beyonce's collection, but they are very, <laughs> girl, <laughs> they, they are so inexpensive. And I actually just bought a new one and I know, okay, so it was my very first lace front because typically I just get like the regular curly ones and then I just do exactly what you said. But it's my first lace front and I was like, oh, this has a part that's like a complexion that I guess I'm supposed to make match my scalp. And I was like, oh, is this is this what girls be doing? I had to pull up a YouTube video. I was like, I don't even know how to do this. A lot of girls are committed to trying to make fetch happened with the scalp and all that and it looks (laughs) it looks like here's the thing like lace is really supposed to be for television and film so Mm. when you see lace on like instagram or you know when you see it in a photo it's great when you see it face to face a lot of times it's not so great especially Mm. if you glue it down one day and then you still trying to wear it a day or two three days later it's, that's not the function of what it, what that's supposed to be for, you know? It doesn't matter how many new brands come out trying to sell you, you know, hairsprays and glues. You're not supposed to keep that lace stuck to your head overnight, you know? Mm. Angela, I can only imagine the number of people that are going to listen to this and be like, girl, <laughs> they going to be so mad. But but I think that that's interesting, especially coming from somebody who is a professional. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that that's your perspective and you don't even do that yourself, um, I find very interesting. I do it for clients. Like if I'm working on television and film, yes, let's put this lace on. If you got a concert, for, for yes. television let's, and film. Yeah, even, <laughs> even in performances like concerts. Um, yeah. If a client sweats a considerable amount, I'm not going to 
glue a lace down on her hairline because if she sweats or moves the wrong way or, or you know, jokes or whatever, it's, that could start lifting. And then people have like close-up cameras and all that kind of stuff. It just is not a good look. So, but I don't, I never have seen a girl in person with her hairline glued down <laughs> and the lace kind of away from the face that I was in any way, um, what's the Fooled. word I'm looking yeah. for? Yeah. Fooled. And thought that it may be her hairline. It, that's never happened. That's literally never happened to me. You know what I mean? So and that's the first thing I look at. What Sorry. were you going to say? Yeah. I was going to say, do you think we're desensitized? Because oh, for sure. over the past few years, that's really become the wave mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. you know, like it's like a daily, it's, a, it's part of people's daily routine to glue it down. I remember years ago when it was like, you got a lace front, like, mm. Like we see, I'm like, who started it? Who, yeah, yeah, we're definitely desensitized, and I think, you know, more people care about how it looks on camera. Which, once again, it looks great on camera. So yeah. I wear them for like photo shoots or you know stuff like that. But I'm also just more of a natural girl. Like I just mm -hmm. personally think I look better with my natural hairline showing. Yeah. So and thankfully I have one. A lot right. of women. Um, dabbled into wearing the laces and maybe got the a wrong like a bad experience and now they don't have a choice mm -hmm. and so it's not only that we are desensitized but it's also that you know i don't have a choice to show you my hairline because now i don't have one so a right. lot of people are just trying to maintain a look because they can't go back anymore but i'm just saying for all the girls who are aspiring to like have that look if you start gluing that let that hair down every day like that and you're not taking care of your skin and your scalp and all that kind of stuff like you will have hair loss you will have damage now a lot of people yeah. might be like but cardi b got long hair cardi b has a hairstylist that manages her hair on a regular basis you know what i'm saying on a yeah. daily basis and i'm pretty sure she's taking off that lace properly not snatching it off and not sleeping in it for days at a time as well mm -hmm. um and so there are always exceptions to the rule but somebody is managing her hair on a very regular basis most women who are you know regular girls should not be trying to get lace laces glued down and make them stay for six weeks i have definitely <laughs> heard of that and it's just dumb, you know? How do they wash their face, though? I don't know. Girl. It just sounds ridiculous, you know? They wash around it, girl. Or even if you get it, <laughs> if you get a weave put in, you should not be getting the front glued down because what, like, how are you going to maintain that in two weeks? You're going to mm -hmm. sew everything down and then this front part is just continues to flap up and then you have to keep gluing it over and over again? Like, do you glue anything to any other part of your body ever? Hmm. That's true. Well, mm -hmm. that, well, you brought up something really interesting. So let's let's talk for a minute about hair help. So I'm gonna give you a few different scenarios. So the first one is that I have been trying to get thicker hair. Now, I don't know if this is something that you can actually do in life. But like, my concern is not hair retention. I think that my hair is long enough. But I want thicker hair. So I'm like, is it possible to get more more hair like more strands coming from the follicles or is my best bet to get my my already kind of like finish hair thicker um it it kind of just depends like genetically 
if you if you have really fine hair, there's no way to really change that. Now, if your hair is gradually starting to thin over time and you want to increase the density, then yes, you can take like supplements. I even saw they have like this laser cap you could wear. It's called like Cialis or something and it's supposed to increase the growth on the hair. You can drink like hair growth teas. Um, you can take things that have like biotin in them, like horsetail, saw palmetto. Those are all like really good ingredients. Or you could take like hair growth gummies. Um, things like that will kind of help increase the circulation on your scalp and therefore increase the um, growth. You also can just do simple things like increase your water intake, give yourself scalp massages, um, using products that clear the follicle to make sure you're not clogging the pores in your scalp. Things like that will also help, but it's only so far it's going to go. You can also um, do things like get scalp PRP, which is plasma rich platelets that are extracted from your, um, your blood. They basically inject the plasma back into your scalp. It invigorates the scalp and then helps it to grow in thinner areas. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different hair thickening options. I mean, if you really want to get, you know, serious with it, then you can get, um, surgery that like removes hair from a more dense area and puts it in a thinner i mean yeah oh it replaces God. it in a thin, into thinner areas um so it's a lot of options out here it kind of just depends but as far as changing the texture or like if you have really fine hair chances are there's not a, a lot you can do there um but as far as the density getting more of it there are options for that yeah okay mm -hmm. yeah i mean because it's not it's not that fine like i'm not out here with with white girl strands but <laughs> i would i would like my twist out to be fuller but there's right. i mean all that fancy stuff you just said is way above my little bank account so <laughs> i need more like a shampoo <laughs> Conscious Curls Clippings, we dropping them um this week. So <laughs> Ooh, what's that? Be on the now you're talking. Yeah. And I have them in um all textures, like the, the tighter textures. I really want to encourage my girls to, you know, yeah. especially for the summer, to like get clippings that match your texture so you don't have to do no work. You know, if you run past a sprinkler, somebody hit you with a water gun, it's all gonna blend together, you know? Mm -hmm. That's real. That's real. Okay, so so what's your take on braids? So to be a hundred percent honest. Um, I was the girl who grew up whose mother would never let me get braids. She was like, I don't give a damn what Moesha is doing, not up in here. So I was never able to participate. And I just got braids for the first time last November. Mm -hmm. It was a huge success. As Like once I learned like how to pee, because I was like, where did my hair go when I got to pee? But <laughs> after, after that, I was I was good. Um, but what I did notice is when it was time to take them out and I probably, I probably only had them in for about three weeks. My, my natural hair, like my hair was the most dry and tangled it has ever been. And I was consistently putting oil on the braids, you know, cause I was like, you know, let me help myself out it's, instead of just messing around with my scalp. So, um, as far as the dryness, the thing about braiding hair is if it's synthetic, it's going to absorb the moisture from your hair no matter what. It's just that the fibers absorb moisture. So it sucks all that out of your hair. So even if you overly put more oil on it, the braids are absorbing it and your hair is not. Um, mm. The only way to combat that is to use human braiding hair, which is 
a lot more expensive than the Kaneka line or like the pack hair. Um, right. But it will help give your hair that moisture. Okay. Um, you can either, you can also try to like do a blend because maybe that'll help kind of, you know, be a buffer for it. Um, there is a company called Latched and Hooked. It's a black owned company and they sell synthetic hair. It's still going to be dry, but at least it doesn't have the coating of all the other chemicals and all that bad stuff that's on the hair too. So that also makes the hair really dry is all the questionable things that are on synthetic hair as well. So, um, I would encourage you to, if you can't afford to get a lot of bundles of human hair, just go with a company like Latched and Hooked that is not, um, that doesn't have all those harsh chemicals on it. Now, as far as, as far as it, you know, being good for your hair or not, like braids are great for the hair because it eliminates you putting heat on it. You know, you can let your hair kind of just like hibernate and sit, but I just was, I would just advise not to leave them in for more than four weeks. Um, I know a lot of people like to stretch it for a while, but that'll also help mitigate the amount of dryness or breakage you might get is by not keeping it in for as long. Okay. Mm. I'm gonna check that company out too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I just found out so about braids- them. Um, I found out about them like six months ago and then I ended up ordering some hair using it. And yeah, they have a lot to offer. So braids for four weeks. Yeah, I would say no longer than that. I mean, it depends on the size and the density and all that stuff. But um, if you have really, really dry, especially coarse hair, dry hair, you know, the less time you keep it in, the better. If you have like a silkier texture that absorbs moisture and holds onto it a bit longer, then you can go longer in your braids. But it also depends on your hair texture. I know there's a lot of listeners who are going to who whose eyes are probably going to pop out of their heads hearing this (laughs) because I am absolutely one of those girls who gets braids in at maybe like the end of June, early July. Them things are not coming out until the middle of September. (laughs) And I thought I was properly caring for my hair by greasing my scalp, keeping the braids moisturized. But I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I didn't I never really thought about the fact that these are synthetic fibers Mm -hmm. and no matter how much moisture you're putting into it it's still just soaking it up yeah that's the that's the biggest problem so that's why when you take them out like you feel how greasy the synthetic hair feels but then mm-hmm. your hair usually doesn't um and then also when you take it out it's just really good to like spray you know like a leave-in conditioner or put like some kind of co-wash or detangler on your hair as you're taking it out so that you can give it that moisture um and kind of coat it with something before you shampoo it because then the shampoo will end up stripping everything out and then you're left with this like extremely clean dry slate so staying on this topic you're really big into hair care why did you think it was important to become a hair care brand educator and how did you how did you even transition into that it kind of was just something that happened, I guess. I think when I first started my career, I just was concerned with like making sure I styled well, right. you know, making sure, you know, people liked how they looked when they left. And I think through building a clientele and really like talking to customers, seeing what, you know, their experiences were, a lot of them either had hair loss or somebody broke their hair off or burned it or things like that. And so I wanted to just make sure like I wasn't that girl. So because right. because I wanted to be the solution to the problems that they were having, I just naturally developed more of a care 
for the hair care aspect. And then I'm just a pushy person. So when I really believe in something, I tend to like want to push, push that on everybody. And so mm-hmm. that's just my personality. Like I'm just bossy. I'm pushy. And I'm just like, that's not right. You don't need to be doing that. <laughs> so it kind of, I just kind of became that. And then I think through consulting um, and having to really like learn about other products and working with product companies, I started to really understand like ingredient formulations and, you know, what products did what for the hair and why. And so then that just kind of became my identity because I was forced to learn about all these natural hair companies and, you know, learning how to do natural hair styling and giving alternatives to heat styling and, you know, extension styling. And so adding those things on top of what my skill set was, which was already extensions um, and just normal hair care. I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, this is me. So it just, it it was just an evolution into it, really. Do you have any favorite hair care products or brands? Um, All the ones owned by Black people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rooting for everybody Black. Yeah, everybody. They all got good stuff. yeah, I would say it's it's a lot of brands out here. So I never like to just tell people, oh, yeah, this one or that one. Like, there's right, a lot of good right. brands that are killing it. And they all have right. great things to offer. It's kind of up to you to see who you gravitate towards and what your needs are and understanding your hair um, and figuring out what works for your hair. That's the other part is everything doesn't work for everybody's hair. Right, right. So speaking of some of these brands that you have not mentioned, but that we know you've worked with, (laughs) such as Girl and Hair, Camille Rose, um, and we know that you've provided advisory services. And, you know, we're in a state right now where all these beauty brands are being asked to pull up or shut up. Right. Which I think is which I think is great. Exactly. So but as history shows. Right. We all know that this industry has been traditionally white. Um, So have any of these brands been reluctant to bring you on board? And when they have brought you on board, have they actually, are there any instances where they weren't really taking your advisement into consideration? Um, I've mostly worked with black owned brands or I've worked with brands that are, you know, directed towards black people. So mm-hmm. my advisement has always been welcomed. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been in a lot of spaces as far as in the brand world that have questioned my judgment. I think right. that more so happens on set, you know, mm. you know, working in film and television or working in fashion or music. I think there's a lot more of like, oh, like second guessing my skill set, you mm. know, because I'm not necessarily who they know or the stylist that they work with before or things like that. But as far as working with hair brands, no, I've always gotten good feedback. Like I've always been welcomed because who who I am and who I style is their target audience. And right. so they've always wanted, you know, to make sure they were on par with who the audience is, you know. Right. No, that makes sense. And and just to lean into something that, that Dee just mentioned with pull up or shut up. I mean, it's <laughs> It's this, it's this really interesting thing because when I think about, okay, we're, we're holding these, these companies accountable, you know, whether it's, it's L'Oreal or a smaller brand. And it's like, as women, specifically as black women, what is practical for us? Because when I look at my, my hair care options in my house, it's, it's nothing but 
black owned hair care products. But then when I look at my skincare products, it's a lot more diverse. Like I will lean into a brand that has ingredients that I'm interested in, even if the, the creator is, you know, Asian. And so it's like when, when we're telling companies to pull up or shut up as, as black women, what are, what's our responsibility? Um, you know, do we just abandon the brands that work for us individually? Because as you said, a lot of it is specific. It's specific to your type of hair, your type of skin, or do we just still kind of, you know, go with what we know, but, you know, still retweet the black owned brands? Um, I think doing a little bit of both. I don't think you have to completely dismantle your whole like regiment. I think it is important to support and try, you know, black owned brands as they come. But like, I understand where you're coming from because I have really like acne prone skin and a lot of things don't necessarily work to keep my skin calm. And so the company that I use, I don't think is black owned either. And I don't plan on changing it, but I do appreciate the fact that it's not that expensive. And you have to find other ways to support the community. So whether that's, you know, supporting Black Lives Matter or, you know, the National Black Caucus or, you know, supporting grassroots law or, you know, different organizations that are helping move the culture forward in other ways or just making sure you donate, you know, to different nonprofit efforts like, you know, what Conscious Curls has been doing, you know, is something that makes me feel good about my stamp on the world. And so you don't necessarily have to make as many changes if A, you are already doing things that were helping your stamp on the world and B, you can find other ways to make sure you're supporting. So, you know, maybe it's not the skincare you use, but maybe you could find, you could just make a decision to only buy designers that are black owned designers or boutiques Mm. that are black owned boutiques. And there's plenty of those. You know, mm-hmm. um, I also have had a struggle because I was like, well, I want to buy some black owned furniture from a black owned furniture store or, you know, but I couldn't find any. So you think I wasn't just about to go to wherever else I could find a furniture? <laughs> right. No, just, I, I don't need have a couch. <laughs> right. I'm just not going to be out of a couch because nobody makes them like, you know, um, but it's hard because we don't ne- we're not necessarily in all those spaces yet. Right. Um, right. And it's also about empowering, you know, our youth and, you know, our friends who are looking into maybe becoming entrepreneurs or thinking about branching out. Hey, like I was trying to find a black owned company that did this. Is that something you might be interested in? Because we can help fill that circle, you know. And so it's just about finding ways to inspire and then also give your money where you can as yeah. much as you can. And what you can't do, you know. You can't do. It's also, I love pull up for change because holding companies accountable is just as important as buying from black owned brands. Because if there are black people in leadership, if you're hiring more black people because you want my business, then somebody else that's that looks like us is still winning, you know? So it, if nonetheless, you could write to that company and say, hey, like, I love your product, but I realize that you guys don't have any black leadership. Are you planning on changing that? Because if you do, then you, you'll still have a customer in me. If not, I I might have to take my business elsewhere, you know? And so even those types of emails and conversations help change, you know, the opportunities and create more opportunities for people of color. So I would say stick with them, but hold them accountable just as much. 
Absolutely. I'm going to tell y'all a really quick story. I know we only have you for a few more minutes, but you brought up something really interesting about having people of color, especially black people in positions of leadership. So one of my absolute only experiences with a black hairstylist and makeup artist was on the same shoot. It was for a very popular hair care company and they were premiering their like, you know, uh, black leaning line for coarser textures. And the, the picture that they had of me has my, my natural, you know, three, uh, 4B, 4C hair, not three. What am I saying? 4B, 4C mm-hmm. hair. And that's what they booked me on. So when I show up to set, uh, they're like, this is great. Um, but we want you to have, uh, ringlets is, is how the, the white woman was describing it. And my, <sighs> my hair does not loose ringlet unless it's with a curling iron. So right. me and the hairstylist, we look at each other. She's like, I can do that. You know, are you sure you, you don't want it to look like the picture she was hired in? And she's like, no, you know, we just want a more, you, you know, looser curl. So she does it. And when this national campaign hit, what did all of the comments say? That's not her natural hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, I mean, I, and it was a, it was a huge deal because in the ad, like I wasn't the star at all, but there's a very popular supermodel in the ad. And so it was, it was all over and all the black girls are like, I mean, that's cool, but that's not her natural curl pattern because like, we know what the fuck our natural curl pattern looks like. Right. And I'm just like, if there was even one black person of authority on that set, I would have felt comfortable or maybe the hairstylist would have felt comfortable just kind of being like, excuse me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like you know like that's what happens so Angela you've been very vocal on your social media about everything that's going on you've even included some links on your website about resources and where people can donate and you've been you know really kind of holding your stance for some time now we can see that with what you've done with conscious curls and the component of um, a charity that you've included there so with everything happening this current movement do you feel like you have to use your platform even more do you feel like it just highlights what you've already been doing do you think that there's anything that you feel you need to include in in terms of continuing to have your voice on these topics? You know, it's honestly hard for me personally being in beauty and mm. needing needing to pr- promote my brand to get sales, but just not feeling like what I have to sell is important in this moment. Right, mm-hmm. right. So... It's like, I know I'm supposed to tell people, buy my stuff, but really all I want to say is fuck the police and let's defund them and mm-hmm. call your senators and call your congressmen. But I don't know how to put those two things together. So that's been a big challenge for me. And I think um, people are dying every day. So how yeah. do I tell people to buy my clippings, you know, right. mm-hmm. when people are dying you know, families are being ripped apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, it's a really challenging moment. Yeah. Um, I'm thankful that I'm, you know, it's not like I'm on my last 
dime you know what i mean but i i want to be i'm i'm very sensitive to this moment and i know that i should still be promoting my brand but it's been really challenging for me to figure out a way to do it where i don't feel tone deaf to what's really going on you know um and some brands are finding a great way to do it i don't know if i have found that yet authentically yeah yeah but and i think and that's very real that's very real because i think what we've seen over the past couple of weeks on social media is just this like as a collective we were all going through it together you know what i mean like for days looking at my social media there was nothing else being discussed you know like Mm -hmm. we were all mourning together putting out our frustrations together just like having being in this literally together, you know? And of course we could talk about how it, it, it can't be just us and we have to extend the conversation to others. But I still think that there was, there's something to be said for us just experiencing this together, even though it's unfortunate, right? That the circumstances in which we are all bonding with, but I, I hope you're not beating yourself up. I mean, I know finances is, is important, but. I think I'm more so, um, just pivoting and going to focus on like running ads and, mm. um, you know, more customer outreach, customer acquisition through, you know, doing ads um, and SEO stuff. But I just don't necessarily have the voice to tell people that they need, you know, to wear this like this or do this style to go where like, right. like, not like there there's no distractions right now i mean yeah you know i got a couple of birthday you know events coming up and i want to look cute for them so i'm i'm gonna find a way to build it into my narrative because you still want to look good you know whether you on the front lines or whether you you know in the house with your family but right, right. it's just such a serious time that it's yeah. not on the forefront of what my my concerns are yeah, absolutely. Well, I know um, me and Dee will be buying your clip-ins and wearing them to the protests in New York and Philly. So you have <laughs> two customers in us Hard. through the revolution. <laughs> okay, so our last and final question. Why does beauty need you? I'm delivering things that I know women need. I know women need to know about hair care. It's such an oversaturated industry of style. And not a lot of people talking about, you know, the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs. So I'm here for that. I'm here to give love. I'm here to have a good time. And I'm here to just be me. And, you know, beauty needs anybody who is true to their authentic self. And that's who I am. 